welcome you on into another episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. It's Mitch Spinelli and Mitchell Bala back here with you, our final episode of July, heading into another uh, hour of talking about sports. Mitch, man, it's good to be back with you. Took a bit of a break, and now we're back here. We're just getting into a new school year, and we are just getting into the final weeks of the summer season. Good to be back, partner. It has been a while, and, you know, we were doing one show a week, and some topics were getting watered down. You know, we take an extra week off here, and we have bunches to talk about go over argue about debate and inform our listeners and viewers of so i'm excited to be back i'm also glad that you can mention schools around the corner and i don't have to worry about it because i'm no longer in school so that's not a problem for me anymore absolutely and you know it was one uh one wrong amazon order is what kept us out from last week and i'll explain that later on maybe in the show but for now i want to remind you guys that uh, if you're not following us on any of our podcasting platforms, do so. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. We're also uh, distributing these podcasts courtesy of Spotify for podcasters, at least on Apple and Spotify. Uh, Obviously, if you're on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell. You can find us on Facebook, Big Time Sports Ohio. Uh, You can find us on the same name on Instagram or our website, BigTimeSportsOhio.com, and our Twitter page at BTS Ohio. That's where you can find our latest videos and articles there. We just posted the fall schedule for uh, Big Time Sports. So if you have an upcoming uh, area game in the high school level in Stark or Tuscarawas County. You might see us out there the next couple of weeks, whether it be for football or volleyball coming up here, be sure to take a look at that. And of course, at Mitch Spinell, at Mitchell Bala, everywhere else, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I've joined the pages threads and blue sky in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if you're, you're going down that route, Mitch, but I'm also verified on Twitter now. So congratulations to me. It only took $11 to, uh, set that up too. So, uh, but enough about me bragging about myself. I want to get into the topics we have at hand today, Mitch, because we're talking about this high school stuff. Uh, the football season's coming up, volleyball season's coming up, golf season's coming up. Number of teams get out on the course here soon, and um, a couple of stories that have been driving uh, this last week. One of the things that I was writing about the other day was a very interesting story we got from the Ohio High School Athletic Association. A lot of stories come out from the OHSAA uh, over the la- over however much time and the OHSAA had this announcement uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, we wrote it down here on BTS uh, on big time sports, Ohio.com is that the OHSA has announced that all of their high school football playoff games throughout the state semifinal round will be played on Friday nights this season. So basically, you know, if you paid attention to OHSA football in the past, however long the playoffs were always usually on Fridays, or Saturdays. Some of them might be on Thursdays, particularly in the state final round, once you get all the teams together to play the championships. But for this year, unlike last season, where some games were played on Fridays or Saturdays, the postseason games for weeks 11 and 12, we played on Friday nights at the home teams at the higher seated uh, uh, teams home site. The next three weeks will be uh, at neutral sites uh, on Friday nights as well. I should also mention too, that if host sites do not have lights for night games, then these games could potentially move to Saturday nights if possible. But most stadiums these days have lights. But the state championship final will be held from Saturday or from uh, Thursday, November 30th to Saturday, December 2nd, as usual. So it's a very interesting move, Mitch, for me at least. I mean, what do you make of the OHSA deciding, hey, we're just going to have them all be on the most traditional day for high school football Friday nights? I love it. I love it because that is what these kids and these teams are used to right you like to build a routine as an athlete as a coach as a team you now get to know you're going to fill and and do the same routine for the most part 
all the way up until the state semifinal or state finals, excuse me, which the state finals is so special. I think you're willing to get out of your routine for a matchup that big. What I also like though, Mitch, is I understand certain divisions played on Friday, certain played on Saturday. It wasn't common, but there may have been times that a division, for instance, I'm not naming teams, but there could have been a division three school that played Friday. The winner of that game was playing the winner of a game that was taking place Saturday. That's one day less of rest. Now everyone's on the same playing field, no matter what, for the entirety of the playoffs, because now if you're playing Fridays and you do get that Thursday state semifinal game, those guys are in the same day amount of rest as well. I think that's just an even playing field all the way around. I like keeping it traditional to high school football, Friday night lights, as everybody knows and refers to it. I, I really think this is a, a very good idea. Um, and I'm excited to see how it goes. I think for people in our position, Mitch, it, Limits us a little more about where we can go and cover. I know there was times that we'd go out on a Friday and Saturday to cover games. Uh, the big time sports broadcast crew potentially would do games back-to-back days. Obviously, that's not the case. We'll have to really be selective when it comes down to it of the area teams in the playoffs. But I'm all for an even playing field, and I think this really gives them the most even level playing field there can be, obviously, with the one caveat if schools don't have lights. But that is very, very minimal now that you will find a team at a stadium that does not, does not have lights to play night games. Well, it's going to be interesting from what's going to be interesting for me is how they kind of work around the scheduling. Cause in the past you would have these games spread out between the two days. Whereas now if every game is going to be on Friday night, you might have to have uh, earlier games played than usual. You might have to have uh, different locations than you have before. Cause we mentioned before those stadiums who don't have lights are now going to possibly be at a disadvantage. Obviously this is more so the case of the first two rounds of the playoffs when Usually, the best high school programs have gotten enough. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? They've gotten enough resources over the last few years to warrant a a facility with uh, lighting so that they can play games at day or night. Whereas a lot of smaller schools, schools that aren't typically the the best of the programs, even those in the lower divisions, uh, they are they are usually the ones who still don't have lights. I believe even Tuscarora Central Catholic uh, in our area still does not have a lit stadium. So um, that's going to be an interesting dynamic for a number of high school teams to be playing these postseason games. Then once you get into the later stages, it's going to be all on Friday nights at neutral sites. So we'll still have the usual suspects that we have uh, have seen over the last few years. And of course, we'll be back at the state finals once again at, uh, I believe, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton. So we'll get to see that for what I believe is the third straight year post the pandemic season. Um, I mean, going into this high school football year, it's going to be very, very intriguing because we're going to have a lot of kids returning, a lot of good players returning uh for the upcoming uh slate of games i mean what particularly stands out to you as far as some of the storylines going into this teams uh on the rise teams trying to repeat their past success especially in the stark era where it's going to be a very competitive year in the federal league i think you just look at the federal league right away mitch you look at a team like lake lake making it all the way to the state semifinals last year how can this team reload they graduated a very strong and important senior class. Now they return a number of starters that were either sophomores or juniors, and they have very much high experience at high levels now going deep in the playoffs. But if it's one or two guys, usually teams can fulfill that, but you're looking at Lake having to replace their quarterback, their running back, part of their offensive line, wide receivers on the defensive side of the ball, defensive lineman. It's, it's a tall task, but at Lake, we know they get coached up very well. You can't rule anything out, but I think the federal league, Mitch, 
there's two teams just based off the, the players that are returning that would probably sit atop a preseason poll if you ask the media around here. That's the Kent McKinley Bulldogs and the Hoover Vikings, both returning their quarterbacks. Obviously, Hoover with Carson Durlin, who we know is a phenomenal talent, a Division One recruit for football, also plays baseball at North Canton Hoover. And McKinley, Mitch, the athletes there year in and year out prove that they can, no matter what age or grade they are, they can hang with some of the best teams. And McKinley brings back a lot of talent. I think those are the top two teams atop the Federal League. Perry is always a wild card because of the style in which they play and how hard it is to defend the wing tee. Jackson, they graduated a good number of seniors that were playmakers, but they still return a good number of threats on the outside at wide receiver, also in the secondary at defensive back and safety. Lucas Eckerman, who ended up becoming the starting quarterback, I believe in week eight or nine last year as a freshman, now returns as the sophomore, has not been named starting quarterback yet. It's an ongoing battle at Jackson. But can Eckerman potentially build off those few starts he had into the playoffs last year? And can the offense grow a lot? Because Jackson's a team that lost a lot on the offensive line, and they lost one of the best running backs we had in the area, and Jason Davide. We'll have to wait and see. You look at Glen Oak, the Burt brothers, two phenomenal talents. Coach Garcia there back again. They are returning a bunch of athletes and very good football players. I'm excited to see what happens there. The Green Bulldogs, Mitch, that's a team you don't sleep on. They graduated their quarterback in that air raid offense they had last year. But from what I've been able to gather so far, it looks like Samino Manson right now has been taking quarterback one reps with the Bulldogs during their practices so far. Interested to see what that senior right-handed quarterback can do. I'm excited. I mean, high school football in Ohio, we know it's football in Ohio, Mitch, is basically like a religion to some, and it starts with high school football, and then it goes to college, and then the pros. I'm excited to see what happens here in just under a month when we kick off. What about down in Tuscarawas County? Well, it's very interesting because we're, we're ter- it's it's one case of a team who was the IBC North champions last year, Newcomers Town, returning a lot of their talent. I mean, five out of their six first teamers were sophomores last year, going to be a junior uh, level squad this year. Uh, as far as Garway goes. Garraway is going to have some very big questions to fill because all six of their first teamers last year, including their player of the year, Brady Roden have graduated. So they're going to be trying to find guys who can fill in these gaps for coach Jason Wallach squad. Obviously coach Wallach, the uh, co or was the head coach of the year last year in the IBC South. You can also check out our interview we did with him a few months back here on this channel. Uh, we also are, there's also Dirk Gad of newcomers town. He's the reigning coach of the year. So he'll have a lot of his uh, squad returning as far as the top teams in the IBC goes, newcomers town, Malvern should be still competitive here. Uh, Buckeye trail could do something interesting. They were three and two in conference play last season, Garraway, Indian Valley and Ridgewood. Those are always the big three in the IBC South. Uh, we'll see if maybe Sandy Valley can try to work themselves back in the mix last year after having a bit of a, a slump last season, finishing four and six. Now, the playoffs are where it's going to get interesting for me because the IVC did not perform well in the play, playoffs last year. Most of the teams went down in week 11, where only Indian Valley, Ridgewood, and Garraway, all IVC South teams, made it to week 12, and then you had Indian Valley and Garraway working their way through the remainder of the playoffs. Garraway fell in the regional semifinals to Perry, while Indian Valley had a very good win against uh, uh, Columbus Bishop Reedy in the regional semis and then got bounced by Steubenville in the regional finals at St. Clairsville. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing 
what teams will be performing well this year and which uh, players and coaches will be able to talk to here in the next couple of weeks or months here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. So when we come back, we'll go over some more uh, sports stories, including a trade that happened yesterday in baseball. We'll be going over, uh, you know, the Brown season, obviously, and much more right after this. Hey there, folks. This is Mitch Spinell, and I want to give you guys a quick message regarding 988. If you don't know what 988 is, it was created to make it easier to remember how to get help in the event of a mental health or addiction crisis. This is different than a medical, fire, or police emergency where 911 should still be called immediately. 988 connects you with Stark County's Crisis Center, which is equipped to help people in emotional distress or experience a mental health or addiction crisis. So remember, 911 for medical, fire, and police emergency help, and 988 for support in overcoming a mental health crisis in Stark County. Buying a home has never been so affordable with record low interest rates. Hartzler's Quality Housing is ready to put over 40 years of experience to work for you. Family owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's has a wide selection of model homes on site with a knowledgeable team to help make your new home a reality. Open six days a week, visit them off I-77 in Dover or online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing, quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet Buick Cadillac Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. You invest a lot in your home and vehicle purchases. Van Nostrand Young and Associates want you to feel secure should anything happen to those investments. We partner with providers like Grange Insurance and other industry leaders to be sure you're presented with the most complete coverage to fit your needs. Because we're not only here to protect the items you invest in, we're here to protect your future as well. Call Van and Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. Wendy's without the Wendy's app is like nugs without the sauce. <gasps> or a Frosty without the fries. <gasps> or a hamburger without the fresh beef. No! Level up. Get the app to order ahead, order delivery, earn free food, and get app-exclusive offers. One app, all the Wendy's. Offer for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Terms apply. App registration required. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Vive Auto Sales, located on West High Avenue in New Philadelphia and Cleveland Avenue in Canton, is a used car dealership committed to getting financing for everyone. We give every customer that walks in our showrooms a prime buying experience, no matter their credit score or financial situation. Current inventory can be viewed at www.wefinancenow.com. 
Check out our Facebook pages for the most up-to-date information about upcoming events and promotions happening at Vive Auto Sales. Get out of the dugout and onto the field with help from Velocity Sports. Velocity Sports is a baseball and softball training academy with locations in North Canton and Canal Fulton. Our new Canal Fulton features 10,000 square feet of training space with six cages for hitting and pitching in a large commercial weight room. Velocity Sports will sharpen your skills and get you in the starting lineup. For more info, go to velosportsohio.com. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Mitch, we saw something yesterday in baseball that honestly was the most massively successful move by the Cleveland Guardians uh, in the year of 2017. The team has traded Ahmed Rosario to the Los Angeles Dodgers. For a guy, like I said, if this was 2017, Mitch, this would have been amazing. This would have been awesome. Pitcher Noah Syndergaard is now joining the Guardians uh, after a brief stint in L.A. in which he went 1-4 and four in 12 starts with a 7.16 ERA. So really the narrative is more exciting than the actual reality, Mitch. I think it's kind of cool that we get him over to a, our pitching staff, but I don't really know what's going to become of him. He's coming back from a blistered finger that put him back on the I.L. in early July. And as far as Ahmed Rosario goes, look, this guy came over from uh, the Mets along with uh, – uh, who am I missing here? Second baseman, uh, uh, infielder. Yes, thank you. Uh, in the Francisco Lindor trade, I can't believe I, I forgot that name. Back in uh, off season of 2021, the guy could play baseball. At least that there's that. I I, I always said like it got it frustrated me how <laughs> it frustrated me. It. Yeah, it frustrated. Well, it frustrated me how it seemed like four days in a row, the man would forget how to hit. And this year he's had maybe the worst offensive stint he's had with the guardians. And then every fifth day he'd go like four for four, hit, hit a couple of doubles, maybe rope a home run and then do something you've never seen before. And now the Dodgers are going to at least have somebody that can be a regular starter and probably second hole hitter for a lineup and a fielding staff that didn't really have a complete fill in at shortstop for the entirety of the season. Mitch, there is the saying of baseball players at the plate when they are locked in and they're hot hitters, they're dangerous. There's also the saying of when they are not hot, they are one of the worst hitters in a lineup. That was Ahmed Rosario this year. Last year, Ahmed Rosario was great. He was the perfect table setter in that two hole behind Stephen Kwan in front of Jose Ramirez, and it paid dividends for what he was able to do all season last year in the playoffs, getting on for Jose to drive him in, being able to take first to third, the Guardians, one of the best teams in baseball at doing that, being able to run on the base paths and steal bases. Coming into this year, we knew he wanted a contract. We knew Jose Ramirez and him adored each other. They they were best of friends. They had really built a relationship. And Ahmed was somebody, Mitch, that Terry Francona pointed to last year as being a big reason on why the younger players were able to step up and contribute because of the positive reinforcement of Jose and Ahmed Rosario. He is due for a contract next year. And sometimes Mitch, you see it in all of sports guys will have their best season ever. Heck Aaron judge, Mitch just broke the American league record last year, heading into an off season where he was going to get a contract. There's other guys who crumbled under the pressure and to this point, as we sit here on July 27th, really his last game, July 25th of 2023, Ahmed Rosario had crumbled under the pressure knowing that he had performed to get a contract. 
when he was not hot, Mitch, he was an automatic out of the plate. I mean, you did not even have to throw a strike and he was going to chase a slider down and away. And it, everybody knew it. I think Ahmed Rosario knew it, yet he still couldn't hold off on it. You deal with it and you can get away with it when you are a superb defensive shortstop, which is the farthest thing away from what Ahmed Rosario is. He was horrendous this year, Mitch. He was so bad since the statistics and the stack cast era came into play. Through as many games as he played for the Guardians this year, he was statistically the worst defender since 2016 for any everyday player for the Cleveland Guardians, taking that uh, amazing record away from Tyler Naquin in 2016. Tyler Naquin broke that as a rookie in 2016, and Ahmed Rosario broke it, shattered it, and he actually had the second worst defensive rating at any player uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know where it's at now, but I only have the graphic in front of me. The only one worse than him was Kyle Schwarber. The difference, Kyle Schwarber hits bombs. Ahmed Rosario does not. I mean, I saw the I saw the one tweet, uh, what was it, the other day when the Phillies came into town, and it was like Ahmed Rosario and Kyle Schwarber in a contest to see who can be the worst fielder out of the two. Yeah, and there's the, there's the saying that is hold, held true in baseball. If you can hit, they will find a spot to put you in the lineup, and they will take the potential miscues in the field. Typically, it's they stash him at first, they stash him in right field. Schwarber, obviously, in that talented Phillies line, lineup is in left field. And unfortunately, we know firsthand how good he can be offensively going back to the year of 2016 in the World Series after he missed the entire season. I liked Ahmed Rosario, though, Mitch, because he did play with fire. He played fast. He always played hard. He just unfortunately was not a good shortstop. And so for me, when you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers now, Mitch, this is a team that is always atop the National League West. They are always a threat to win the World Series. They went out now and acquired two shortstops in back-to-back days. On Monday, or Tuesday, excuse me, to get Kike Hernandez from the Boston Red Sox. He had been with the Dodgers before, so maybe the familiarity factor there, knowing he is equipped to play multiple positions if needed. And now they go out and get a shortstop in Ahmed Rosario. The return, though, Mitch, is interesting. Mm -hmm. To your point, if this was the 2016 season, uh, we are talking about perhaps one of the best pitchers in baseball at the time. Syndergaard was 14 and nine. He was an all-star uh, finished in the top 20 for MVP voting in national league finished atop the top 10 in Cy Young voting 17. He was hurt. He comes back in 18 and 19 and delivers 21 gets hurt again in 2020 goes 10 and 10. And then after that, He's just fallen off injury prone. This is a guy, Mitch, that he came up. He was a fireballer. You look back at that Mets team that went to the World Series and lost to the Kansas City Royals, I believe, what was that, 2015? They had Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom, and Noah Syndergaard. They were the formidable big three in terms of a rotation. The saving grace we have here is I don't think this team was going to resign Ahmed Rosario. Right, We have too many unknowns in the likes of Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, and Brian Rocio. And we need to see those guys play. And for as much slack as we give Arias, Mitch, he has a phenomenal arm, way better than Ahmed Rosario could ever hope for. He has the capability of playing shortstop, and you'd start to see Tito throw him in in the eighth and ninth inning defensively at short because Ahmed Rosario was just becoming so unreliable. He just cannot hit, and I think the reason we're still hanging on to him is they don't want to have the same thing happen that has now happened with Yandy Diaz with the Tampa Bay Rays. 
Diaz in 90 games in two years was about a 280 hitter here in Cleveland, had one home run in 88 games. And now he leads the Tampa Bay Rays in home runs. He was an all-star first base this year. I think the Guardians are having a little bit of seller's remorse with Yandy, and that's why Arias is still here. We have options. There's also the option, Mitch, don't forget, the first year after we traded Francisco Lindor, Andres Jimenez was playing shortstop. Now, yeah, I don't know if you can really sell me on putting him at shortstop after the phenomenal outings he's had back-to-back years defensively at second base, offensively a little bit of a step back this year. But when you look at teams around Major League Baseball, Certain teams are very good at something. Tampa Bay, they're very good at developing hitters. Don't believe me? The numbers they have and still leading the American League after that amazing start to the season, even though they've fallen behind the Orioles now. And what they've been able to do with Yandy Diaz and Randy Arena and other players, phenomenal. The Cleveland Indians slash Guardians, Mitch, are known for being able to develop pitchers. We have three rookies up here right now that are going to be frontline of the rotation guys for the foreseeable future here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. If there is any organization that could potentially fix Noah Syndergaard, it's us. To me, this is a low risk, low reward with a high reward possibility. If he doesn't do well, it's fine. If he can just be a guy that eats up five or six innings to avoid us having bullpen games now with Bieber on the 60-day IL and McKenzie on the 60-day IL, I am all for it because the bullpen games are catching up to us, right? Our bullpen that is so good is getting fatigued because of the inability of some of these younger pitchers being able to go deep in games. But Mitch, if they fix Noah Syndergaard, and I'm not asking him to return to his 2016 form, if they fix Noah Syndergaard and get him back to the 2018 form, you have a front line of the rotation guy again. And that's what you are going to need when it does not look like you can really count on Bieber or McKenzie coming back this season. And that's why, to me, I'm totally okay with the move. The Dodgers kicked in money for the Syndergaard contract because he was making more than Rosario. So it was a, a wash, according to John Heyman and all these other reporters. It's pretty much a straight-up trade. Contracts are both the same for both sides after the Dodgers kicking money. We'll see. I, I I tend to think you'd have to agree with me that if there's one thing Cleveland does better than anybody else, it's developing pitchers and moving off guys at the right time for the most part. No GM is perfect. Yandy Diaz and Nolan Jones now in Colorado is a perfect example of us not being perfect. But when you look at other guys we've gotten off, uh, not Cliff Lee, excuse me, we traded him. We got a good package. CC, obviously a lot left in the tank. We couldn't afford him. Corey Kluber, though, we moved off him at the perfect time before the injury bug caught up to him. Andrew Miller, we moved off him at the right time, not re-signing him as he goes to St. Louis. I think we moved off Ahmed Rosario at the right time, and now we can see these rookies step in and see if they can contribute as we're still very much in the thick of things in the American League Central. And if they get Syndergaard to return to form, we're going to look like geniuses. I'm happy that we got at least a veteran pitcher in return for Rosario, especially with, as you mentioned, a lineup that has three rookies that aren't able to chew up enough innings to keep the bullpen at bay, which I thought was very, uh, which why it was, was very key for the other night. I was at the game where Aaron Savali looked dominant for eight innings against the Kansas City Royals lineup, but still, that this is the best we've seen Savali in quite a while now, and he's the most important linchpin in this guardian system so far a team that's still uh competing in the american league central two games back in minnesota as we speak right now they're at 51 and 51 so they'll have more opportunities to play the twins here later on in the season and try to work around that 
uh, that that deficit. And since the team's still competing, they decided, hey, we're gonna keep we're gonna take Bieber off the trade market. We're not gonna get rid of him. Uh, he's still dealing with his injury. Quantrill and McKenzie still dealing with dealing with what they have to do. I've seen some discussions of maybe like, oh, should we trade Aaron Savali right now? I don't think we should right now because this is this is not your number one pitcher. It's a guy who can bring, maybe bring you some decent value if uh, you decide to yeah. go the way of bolstering your offense. But right now, he's the only key, healthy, still pitching well veteran in your in your starting rotation. I don't want to rely solely on three rookies. I'm fine with having them in the mix. I don't ha- want to have them solely working between three rookies and a 30-year-old uh, former all-star who doesn't look quite the same as he used to, that 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 could immediately take where the Guardians were at the beginning of the season with one of the most consistently consistent and healthy uh, rotations in baseball to all of a sudden a complete mess, hoping that you can bolster your lineup enough to score runs if you somehow make it to October. I, I'm with you. I ha- It's pretty obvious if you know me or you follow me on Twitter or just from what I've said over the past year. I'm not the biggest Aaron Savale fan. He has glimpses of the other night against the Royals. And then he has other games, Mitch, where it's like, oh my gosh, how is this guy a major league pitcher? And it happens, right? I mean, you're going against other professional athletes. These guys are paid to do their job. It, I, I think I can fall on either side of it. I don't think the, the value could get higher for Savale right now. We know there was a number of front office executives and scouts in attendance in Cleveland the other day looking at Savale. If he can return you, Mitch, an everyday player that brings you value in the lineup in terms of a bat with potential power, I could probably get myself to rally around that. But to your point, you cannot bank on Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber coming back this year. The 60-day IL and the injuries they're dealing with, Mitch, are injuries that if you bring them back may occur again. And... Cal Quantrill obviously has not been good this year, but if he gets healthy and he can slide back in, right? can you make it work? Potentially, but it's it's such a fine line. I don't think the Guardians are done. I do think the Guardians will make another trade. I'm not saying they're going to make this big splash, but I think I would not be shocked if they go for another starter. I also would not be shocked if we make another trade involving one of our prospects to get a player that can come in and play every day and provide value in the lineup, either in terms of power or average. And now it's going to be hard, but with where this team's at right now, 51, 51, two games back, they go to Chicago for four games. This is the perfect time to play the Chicago white Sox, Mitch late last night. They trade away one of their top two pitchers in Lucas Giolito. They trade away a, a bullpen arm. There's reports that they're coming after Luis Roberts. There's reports that the Tampa Bay Rays are in serious discussions to get Lance Lynn. This is a semi-fractured locker room with a lot of anxiety built up right now because guys don't know what's going to happen. Are their friends getting traded? Are they getting traded? Where do they have to move the family? This is a perfect time to where Cleveland needs to go into Chicago here and handle business and win for what I would believe their fourth consecutive series or fifth consecutive series. And I think if they go in here, the deadline at 6 o'clock on Monday or Tuesday, I do think if they go out here and handle business this weekend, the front office is going to have no choice but to make another acquisition to allow this team to have a fighter's chance at winning the American League Central and what's the worst division in baseball by far. But the Twins don't scare me, and I think that's why you have to make a trade. The Twins are not clear-cut better than the Guardians. I don't think you can say that. 
and their schedule will get a little difficult here. The Guardians now will play the White Sox. They get the Twins later. They don't see the Royals again till September. The Tigers are in there still, but I, I'm all for the trade. Maybe Cindergard regains form. Maybe this team fixes him. I don't know. What I do know, though, is the trade deadline coming up next week. We record next week, Mitch. We're going to have a lot of fun and potentially a lot of trades to break down or none to break down because I feel like we always hear about these potential trades that just never go through. This coming Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And you mentioned that Giolito thing. That was the Angels acquiring the, uh, the, the White Sox pitcher as they are officially buyers at the deadline, unlike what many people thought expected them to. They're not going to be trading Shohei Otani. He's pitching and batting today for the Angels. They're not going to deal him before the deadline, Mitch. So they're going to make this push for the playoffs. And I texted somebody in my group chat last night. Talk about really needing to win the World Series right now. Somehow, some way, which seems unlikely because they're in third place right now in the American League West. But you're essentially giving him away. You're essentially giving him up if he chooses to leave in free agency for free rather than trying to get a massive haul of picks or something like that or uh, prospects at the deadline. And that's that's such a fascinating move by ownership because it seems like the front office might have had different thoughts than the ownership did uh, in regards to the Angels. 100%. I think the front office knew they need, probably needed to move him, but I think maybe ownership talked to the front office and said, hey, if we go for it, we make some trades here and get rid of some guys and show him we're serious without Mike Trout right now that we believe in him to be able to carry this team. Maybe he'll like us a little bit more. Maybe he'll want to come back. There's two things that I know. One, just from the publicity, is that he wants to stay out West, right? He has been, there's been multiple reports saying that like he would not want to play in New York. And so maybe that's why the Yankees and Mets never went after him. And he's going to get the biggest baseball contract ever that we have ever seen. Unless he gets hurt this year, which, oh my goodness, please do not happen because he is must see when he is in town or on TV nationally. This man is going to get the biggest contract in the history of baseball. And it's not going to be close in my opinion. And there's no salary cap in baseball. We know that the angels probably could do it. Are they willing to do it? This would probably be the one time Mitch that you have to be willing to do it because he affects the game in more than one way. And he affects it every night and every four days, he affects it in two ways as a pitcher and a hitter. I'm you mentioned their their third place in the West. They're also four games back in the wild card there behind the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, who are, you know, fighting for uh, a wild card spot while the Rays and Astros obviously are ahead in the wild card standings. An American League East team is going to get one wild card spot. And unless the Rangers or Astros fall off, the other one of those teams is going to get a wild card spot. So then it becomes how serious can they get? But Mitch, if you haven't looked yet, the Angels might have the hardest schedule in the month of August at any team in baseball. There is a chance they're going to be 18 games out. And I, I'm i going to pull it up right now because I feel like in terms of context, it needs to be talked about. I, I got to look at this. this. This team's schedule coming up in the month of August is brutal. They have the Tigers, and then they finish out July with a trip out east to Toronto in August. They go to Atlanta. They come home versus Seattle. They play San Francisco. They play the Reds, who are very, very much alive right now in the postseason race. They play in New York against the Mets. 
They play at the Phillies, Mitch. All those teams are still very much alive and fighting for a playoff spot, maybe with the exception of the San Francisco Giants. Once the calendar turns to September, they go to Oakland. They play Baltimore then. They host us, the Cleveland Guardians, back to Seattle. This schedule for them is, in my opinion, has to be one of the hardest remaining in Major League Baseball. So if they thought Lucas Giolito was enough to hold down the fort with Mike Trout out, they're going to have to make more moves. They cannot just make one move hoping Otani sees that and thinks, oh, okay, they're buyers. Maybe I'll consider them. They're going to have to go out and get other pitchers and, yeah, other, so, yeah. and other players because with what they have right now, it's just not doable for that team when you have Texas and Houston in your division and the American League East that has five legitimate teams right now that could be playoff teams if they were in any other division in baseball. Like Otani, Giolito, Patrick Sandoval, and then you got Reed Miters and 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 Canning. That that doesn't seem like a lineup that can play four out of five days and get you two to four victories each oh. time. That that's not look, maybe they, maybe we're wrong. They maybe. were one of the teams. They were one of the teams that had executives here in Cleveland when Savale pitched. Now I'm not right. saying we're going to trade Savali, but they're doing their due diligence and seeing what could be available, what type of arms they could get because Mitch, the knock on the angels for the past number of years is their starting pitching has been horrendous and having Otani's great and Gilito's great, but you still have to find three other viable starters to even potentially keep you in a race while one of the best players of our generation, Mike Trout remains out. I was going to say, if you're going to trade Savali for, let's say with the Angels, for example, if you're going to trade him for uh, like a right-handed power bat, which is what we've been needing over the last few weeks of the season, even though some of the most unlikely sources have been getting power for the Guardians right now. David Fry, for example, has had how many home runs in the last month or so, which is strange. Um, We had Bo Naylor, obviously, last night hit two home runs, even though he's lefty. Um, Your best bet is maybe... I'm trying to go through all the names I, I'm seeing on this Angels depth chart. Hunter oh. Renfro, Zach Nato, but he's hurt Hunter right Renfro. now. Taylor Ward. I mean, the, the, to me, none of that blows me away as a Guardians fan if that trade ever happened. Um, obviously, as a delusional Guardians fan, I would hope that, you know, maybe Savale and, and a couple of prospects for Otani would work out. Uh, maybe the Angels will change their mind in the next couple of days. I mean, I think right. that's a fair trade for both sides. Savale, Savale, um, Bieber, a prospects, prospects, um, the ghost of Bob Feller, mm. um, the, Miles the, Straw, the Akron, Miles Straw on there, the Akron Rubber Ducks organization, the entire franchise, maybe, possibly. I, 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 I could see that happening. Name. Could we, do we that. Could give them the the rights to the names of the Akron Arrows. You know, maybe. Uh, you know, Dolan could throw in some money and, you know, whatever businesses he owns, maybe some of the rights to those businesses, you know, sure. the possibilities are endless. I'm just going to keep dreaming until six o'clock hits and Otani is still an angel. You know, let right. me dream. Let, rights, let it happen. The rights to Major League Four, which would then to be turned into a series on Disney Plus since Disney or the no, they used to own the Angels. Excuse me. The yeah. Disney used to own the Angels. So that's null and void. All right. We I got we got to get away from this before we keep spouting out stupid ideas in the meantime we'll take a quick break right after this talk more brown stuff and stuff right on the show
The Furby Electric Supply Company has bright ideas for your home. Save money by converting to energy-efficient electrical products or add ambiance with beautiful lighting features. It begins with a professional consultation and a visit to the Furby Lighting Showroom. Then certified Furby contractors complete your project right and on time. Since 1934, four generations have built a reputation of quality and trust, and they offer emergency services too. Just visit Furby.com. That's F-U-R-B-A-Y. The Furby Electric Supply Company. You asked for it and we listened. Buckeye Career Center is now offering certified nail technician as an adult education program. This 216-hour course begins in November and will run Tuesday through Thursday evenings from 5 to 9 p.m. Learn manicures, pedicures, infection control, salon operations, and more. Other part-time certification courses starting this fall include phlebotomy and welding. Call 330-339-2288 to register or visit BuckeyeCareerCenter.org for more information. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car or truck, why not see the Parkway Auto Group? Parkway is a special group of automotive experts with eight brands to satisfy your needs. Come see the difference at the Parkway Auto Group on Commercial Parkway in Dover. Eight brands and one family. It's Parkway Auto Group. Fall is in the air and part-time career enhancement courses at Buckeye Career Center are on the horizon. Registration is now open for introduction to beekeeping, basic small engine repair, and sign language. These part-time offerings run on Tuesday evenings and begin in November. Let Buckeye Career Center help you learn a new skill or advance your current skill set. Call 330-339-2288 for more information or to reserve your seat in one of these or our other part-time classes. You matter. Everyone plays a part. We all have a role. Each of us can make a difference. You do matter, and the best way to have a positive impact is to pay it forward. With each of us helping one another to cope, feel better, and know that we belong. Pass on the positivity today. Tell someone else they matter too. Alt Care. Alt Care, Alt Care. Where you matter. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. Employee benefits, although time-consuming and expensive, is one of the top considerations for those making a job change. At Hummel Group, we help businesses craft benefit strategies that align with company goals. Through an emphasis on cost containment, leveraging technology, and benefits administration, we save your team valuable time. Your employees call us with questions, not you. Visit HummelHelps.com or call 800-860-1060. Don't just get insurance. Get Hummel. June is National Safety Month. Did you know that 80% of injuries related to falling in a home happen in the bathroom? Mostly to folks over the age of 65. If you find it hard to get in and out of a standard bathtub and need a new walk-in shower or convenient walk-in bathtub, then call the professionals at JR Bath. JR Bath has been helping to make bathrooms beautiful and safer since 1976. Call JR Bath at 330-494-2365 or visit us at jrbath.com. 
And welcome back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. It's Mitch Spinell and Mitchell Bala as we now transition into some more talk regarding the upcoming NFL season. A number of headlines to talk about here as, uh, you know, one of them, Mitch, we talk about the Cleveland Browns fairly often through the offseason and regular season on this show. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to address was this recent talk from uh, quarterback Deshaun Watson at Browns camp this past week. Um there was an interesting dynamic uh, at, at his most recent press conference, Watson's. Uh, obviously, him coming back from the suspension last year for the ongoing legal process, uh, which uh, resulted in a settlement with the NFL. And, you know, Watson has said he shared his stories with his teammates and he's kind of just, you know, been focusing on the upcoming season. Um, he had these things that he, back on Tuesday in which he was trying to, he was talking about them with reporters and he kind of alluded to some of his tough upbringing, which he felt was overshadowed by the coverage of the allegations against him. Uh, there, there was even a quote here. It says, quote, a lot of people, especially last year heard different things, especially last year has been the media directing and narrating something else. It's been kind of overshadowed. So having an opportunity to tell that story in front of those guys and lift those teammates in their eyes and be able to touch them and let them know why I am who I am is definitely powerful, unquote. And this sparked a number of reactions on social media and from a number of articles. I believe Dan Patrick even had some uh, some comments regarding this, uh, calling the Cleveland Browns must not see TV. Watson and the Browns, I should reiterate. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing headlines from reports saying Deshaun Watson should be ashamed of himself. Uh, let's see here. Uh Watson can't be blaming media for his own mistakes. Uh, Sean Watson spent the last season apologizing. Now he's playing the victim. These articles around the likes of SB Nation, Deadspin. Um, look, this is kind of where you're at. This is kind of where we knew, where we knew the team's probably going to be at. Watson's going to be at. I, I, uh, I think the choice of words could have been better. I'm not saying. I do think that there was less of a story here than was made out to be. However, I don't know if, if showcasing any form of resentment against media outlets and people who are talking about this sort of situation should be a, a, a kind of play for Watson or the Browns. It's, it's mainly Watson in this case, but I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a tricky scenario because you're in a spot where a guy when you have uh, him in front of you as a reporter, that's probably going to be the number one thing you would want to talk about. And there are probably situations where if that, uh, that topic is brought up, then there's going to not, there's going to be sort of a retraction in terms of your relationship between the athlete and uh, the media outlets. Yeah. Look, everybody always has an opinion and that goes for anything in life. We know that, this is going to hang around the Browns and Deshaun Watson for potentially forever, Mitch. I mean, let's, let's just call it for what it is. The way it goes away is winning football games. His play on the field will obviously overshadow some of that. And at the same time, Mitch, do I agree with what he said? No, but it also is a slow time. There's not a lot of camp stories right now. Your other biggest story in the NFL right now is running backs, having a zoom meeting, talking about how they're not being paid, uh, you know, fairly, they, they should be getting paid more. And that's about it. I mean, what the other, the next biggest story is Sean Payton ripping Nathaniel Hackett as the Denver Broncos mm. coach last year, Rogers taking a $35 million pay cut. I mean, like there's nothing here that is going to really change ratings 
for these media outlets and what is a dead period for outlets that typically cover football and basketball the most. It's never going to go away. We know it as Browns fans at the same time, us as Browns fans didn't make this move, right? So the, the people that want to come after Browns fans, we were a fan before this move was made. Most are still fans after the move was made because this is how we get through the fall and winter here in Ohio and some left and that's their choice. And I totally respect that. I think when it comes to Deshaun Watson, though, Mitch, he had been covered up for so long. He hadn't been able to say a whole lot that now he wants to say a whole lot. Right. And I'm not dismissing the allegations against him or holding them against him because at the same time, they're allegations and there was a legal process that went through and there was things that did not transpire from that. And that, that that's just a fact. That's all I'm saying. Like I said, I'm not I understand. saying what he allegedly did is okay. Or it wasn't okay. Like that. this is just where we are. I just think that Deshaun Watson has been kind of covered up for so long because you had to be careful last year as the Browns with him, especially only playing a certain amount of games and a lot of, and most of the time in the NFL, Mitch, when players are at the podium or coaches are at the podium, it is coach. What did you think about this in the game? What did you see in practice day? Coach, you're struggling. Are you thinking about making a quarterback change? That's not going to be the case for the Browns here. I think for the rest of the, the off season, it's going to be a lot of questions that people want answers from Deshaun Watson, from the Haslam's Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski and teammates about Deshaun Watson, the person. And we're not in a spot to talk about Deshaun Watson, the person, because we don't know him and we right. weren't there. We're here to talk about football and the Browns, but I do think that because of the slow news going around the NFL, this is a bigger conversation because of the ratings and the amount of people now that dislike Deshaun Watson, that dislike the Cleveland Browns, and because it will get people that do care more than they probably should that have no say in the entire situation that went on to click and get involved in arguments on social media or in polls or emails or call-ins or whatever it may be. Like I said, I'm not going to just dismiss the fact of the allegations, but at the same time, I feel as somebody that was probably kind of covered up, he's just kind of over it. And the more and more questions that come out and he can't answer it because the Browns are trying to one, protect their franchise and brand and also protect him from getting himself in any trouble that could potentially arise for saying the wrong thing. It's hard right now. I will say Dan Patrick saying the Browns are must not see TV is hysterical in my opinion, because there are still 52 other players in this roster and some very damn good football players in this roster, Mitch, that are some of the best at their position group in the league. Nick Chubb is must see TV. You cannot take what Deshaun Watson did or did not do and hold that against Nick Chubb. You cannot hold that against Miles Garrett. They are players for a franchise that went out and got them in the draft or free agency. They did not get a say in this move either. We know Andrew Barry is the general manager, and we also know the Haslam's had a big say in the move that was made. I, I just, I know what's going to happen. I'm sure you know what's going to happen. That is training camp rolls around here. Really, Mitch, in the next week, we're seven days away from the NFL season kicking off here in Canton, Ohio, with the Browns and Jets playing in the Hall of Fame game. And I have to believe 50% of the questions that are going to be asked to Browns players, personnel, coaches, front office, whatever it is, is not going to be about the players on the field that are fighting for spots on the roster, but it's going to be around Deshaun Watson. I'm very interested to see what happens next week here in Canton. 
Odds are Deshaun Watson's not going to play. Odds are Aaron Rodgers is not going to play. Are they going to be here? We've seen it before with some teams and their high-profile athletes. They don't come. I would think every member of the Cleveland Browns will be here because of Joe Thomas being inducted. And also, Mitch, we lost Jim Brown this past season. Yep. There should be some kind of recognition or ceremony for arguably the greatest running back of all time. Next week here in Canton, when the 2023 class is enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I think you and I are on the same page here, and I think a lot of Browns fans understand that as well. Moving forward in training camp, the joint practices that will happen, a lot of the conversation is not going to be about the practice or the plays or the players fighting for roster spots. Maybe half of it will be, the other half will be on Deshaun Watson, and the Browns are going to have to navigate that. And the way to get out of it, Mitch, is to win football games. And us as Browns fans, all we want to see is the Browns be a successful football team and win football games. And if they do that, Mitch, I think a lot of this goes away, much like it has with other players across other sports or even NFL players that have had off the field issues that once the season starts and if they start performing and they start winning football games, a lot of it goes away. It's never not going to go away completely, though, and that's just the nature of the world we live in. No, I, I do agree with that in, in that should Watson and the Browns perform better than they did the last season, there's less there's less incentive and less speculation into, okay, why isn't the team performing as well as they want to? Why isn't Watson performing as well as he wants to? What's holding them back? Is it physical or is it mental uh, connected to something that's been going on? I do kind of want to push back on, you know, when these Browns players answer questions this week, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be that much against Watson because we're not coming into it, him fresh off of the suspension or even during the suspension, like we were last season, last season, the Browns players were subjected to a lot of questions regarding their quarterback Um, this year. I don't think it's going to be as much. I think it's going to be as much as what he can do on the field, but not in terms of his legal process or where he currently stands as a person. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure what's going to become of it in the in the near future. And if you're a brown, if you are the Browns or you're a Browns fan, you're hoping positive things because you just want things to be better than they have been in years past. You're going up against a, a very competitive field in the AFC this year. Many of the quarterbacks will be returning, and a lot of these quarterbacks now getting paid much more than Deshaun Watson was. Remember what was it now? It was May. No, it was March of 2022. I believe when Deshaun Watson uh, was, was announced as traded to the Cleveland Browns and he got his massive fully guaranteed contract. That was uh, what was it? Uh, however much it was for the amount of money. Now, just over a year later, Deshaun Watson is now the, now like the eighth, the eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL in terms of total money. Uh, since he assigned the deal last season, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray have signed big deals. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson were offered uh, large deals last offseason, even though Watson's deal is the only one that's fully guaranteed, which is the first time the, the Browns are the first team to ever do something like that. Most of the quarterbacks will get all or most of the money. Very rarely do they just flame out within two seasons and they have to, and they don't get all the money they, they get. And usually extensions are done before the deal is even close to being finished. So for now, Mahomes is number one at $450 million. Watson's deal at 230 million comes as the eighth biggest deal in NFL history. Yearly average of $46 million is seventh in the league, just ahead of Mahomes at 45 mil. So the chiefs look like they're getting a bit of a bargain, but you look at what's happening with Justin Herbert right now. He just got $262 million over five years 
$100 million paid out in the first season of the deal, just based on the way the money works. And Joe Burrow is still yet to be signed. Trevor Lawrence is still yet to be signed. Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Fields have a bit more to go in terms of proving their worth in the long term, but there's still some things that are that might be worth it for the dolphins and bears respectively. And you still got the likes of veterans like Kirk cousins and Dak Prescott and Jared Goff and, and Aaron Rodgers after that two year thing. Like it's very fascinating how one deal that seemed to be like the ultimate deal of all deals in the NFL and Watson's uh, contract with the Browns now just kind of seems like a drop in the bucket compared to these other guys who I could argue if you were basing the, rankings of these quarterbacks play based on the amount of money they're making and not just what they're making on the field. You can make the argument that Watson probably falls in the eight to 10 range is probably talented quarterbacks in the league. I'm fine with that. Now for yeah. some of the names that are just ahead of him in the money, that's a little bit different, but it kind of makes the Browns deal in perspective kind of be like, Oh, okay. Maybe there was something that they saw here that maybe others may not have been able to see in the short term. And I'm so happy you brought this up. And like I just mentioned here in the same segment, it's hard to take the Sean Watson, the football player, and also take the off the field issues that we know away. Yeah. But for just one minute, whether you love him or hate him, do it for me, right? When the Browns did this contract, Mitch, a lot of the pushback on it was they're doing this for a guy that has all these off the field issues. But if you were doing it strictly as Deshaun Watson, the football player, and the last time we saw him on the field in Houston before he sat out a year, remember, he sat out a year. He was not in trouble with the NFL. Right. He was punished once he was in Cleveland. The Browns doing that the way they did it, Mitch, obviously the fully guaranteed is the, is the big part of it, but I had no issue with it because it takes a team to do that for another team to trump it. The Chiefs did it with Mahomes. We did it with Watson. There's a, Mitch, I think there's a really good chance that Joe Burrow could potentially be in the same boat as Deshaun Watson with the Cincinnati Bengals and get a massive, most if not fully guaranteed contract. And he, based off what we've seen from him in Cincinnati after his torn ACL, he deserves it, Mitch. I think that there is Patrick Mahomes and then it's, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow right below Mahomes in terms of tiers and how they should be getting paid and Aaron Rodgers based off the success he's had. So the Browns got a lot of slack because they gave it to a guy who was having a lot of off the field issues, but Deshaun Watson in his last season with the Houston Texans, which was what 2020. Cause he sat out all of 21. Yes. He was a top five quarterback. He led the league in passing and he did that without Deandre Hopkins. For, yeah. He for a bad Texas with, team a really bad Texans team. And so now being slotted eighth, if you're going off of where Deshaun Watson was in 2020 as the player, it is worth it. I have no problem with it. The only problem I'm going to have with it is if the Deshaun Watson we saw in five or six games last year is the quarterback we have for the next four seasons. That's going to hurt because you can't move off him. Nobody's going to take that contract with the baggage that's coming with it right now. And he's not worth that money if he's the player we saw. I don't think he's the player we saw. I think taking a year off in anything you do, you will not be the same. And I mean anything you do. This is going to be a big year for him as the quarterback with that contract and everything hanging over him. But in terms of just Deshaun Watson, the football player, and those names you mentioned and the money they're getting eighth on that list right now, I am totally okay with it because we thought it was potentially going to handcuff the Ravens. It didn't necessarily, but... Could it handcuff the Bengals? We'll, we'll have to see now because you know Joe Burrow is going to go to the Bengals and say, 
I'm not taking less than Justin Herbert. I'm better than Justin Herbert by a landslide. I've taken you to two AFC championship games. I've taken you to a Super Bowl. I have given you more than you ever probably thought I could have this short of time in my career. He is the definition of a franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow. And hey, if they have a great season this year and he balls out, he leads the league in passing and he demands that contract. Joe Burrow, who has no off the field issues, who is a great guy, Mitch. He's super likable for the most part, unless you hate the Bengals, which we do, but I hate it because I do like Joe Burrow. Some team is going to fork out the money to get Joe Burrow because he is as good as advertised. And he was also up until last year in the playoffs, the only quarterback to start out three and against Patrick Mahomes. The chiefs are the standard in the NFL right now, when it comes to a team with a quarterback, the Bengals are not far behind. And I don't think the Eagles are far behind. Although I do want to see Jalen hurts do what he did last year again, but the Browns set the market but they weren't going to be the last team to set the market. And we're going to see it continue to tick that way. And I won't be shocked by this time next year, Mitch, you mentioned Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, who we know wants his money, Kirk Cousins, Mitch, who was coming off the best year of his career. There's a chance Deshaun Watson will be slotted 11th. Who knows? What if Tua stays healthy and the Dolphins are the best team in the AFC? He could be 12th. What if, obviously a lot of what ifs, but they're viable what ifs. And it's a chance Deshaun Watson goes from eighth to 12th or 13th and slotted money for a quarterback. It's that's why I know it's hard to separate everything, but in terms of the business, in terms of the money, I was okay with it for the football player that we were hoping to get. Yeah. I'm going to keep one Browns Bengals topic uh, on the other side of this break. When we come back, we'll go over some other stories here as on the big time sports podcast show. Hey there folks, this is Mitch Spinell and I want to give you guys a quick message regarding 988. If you don't know what 988 is, it was created to make it easier to remember how to get help in the event of a mental health or addiction crisis. This is different than a medical fire or police emergency where 911 should still be called immediately. 988 connects you with Stark County's Crisis Center, which is equipped to help people in emotional distress or experience a mental health or addiction crisis. So remember, 911 for medical, fire, and police emergency help, and 988 for support in overcoming a mental health crisis in Stark County. Are you trying to increase your speed, quickness, vertical leap, and agility? If so, NST Sports Performance is for you. NST trains athletes ages 5 through pro. NST designs each program specific to the athlete's needs, goals, and sports. For more, visit nstsports.com. Locations in North Canton and New Philadelphia. It's nstsports.com. It takes a lot of practice to have a winning team. Alban Title has over 100 years of combined experience handling real estate, title, and escrow transactions. They serve Tuscarawas, Stark, Carroll, Harrison Counties, and more. So choose Alban Title for your next home refinance, sale, or purchase. They'll get it done quickly and professionally. Contact Alban Title at 330-334-5800 or visit their website, albantitle.com. Let them put their experience to work for you. Hard work is something you're accustomed to. Van Nostren Young understands that principle. Our access is achieved with organizations like Grange Insurance. Safety and prevention specialists utilize our VanCan assessments process to ensure that you and your colleagues 
are in the best hands. You want the safest environment for your business, and we can guide you there. Call Van Nostra Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. If you're purchasing a new home, the team at Hartzler's Quality Housing is here to help. Take advantage of record low interest rates to make your new home a reality. Locally owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's Quality Housing has the experience to guide you through the process. You'll find a wide selection of model homes on site to fit any budget. Open six days a week just off I-77. You can also visit them online at Hartzlers.com. Hartzlers Quality Housing. Quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet Buick Cadillac Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. Think Ferris. Wendy's without the Wendy's app is like nugs without the sauce. <gasps> or a Frosty without the fries. <gasps> or a hamburger without the fresh beef. No! Level eight. Get the app to order ahead, order delivery, earn free food, and get app-exclusive offers. One app, all the Wendy's. Offer for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Terms apply. App registration required. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Get out of the dugout and onto the field with help from Velocity Sports. Velocity Sports is a baseball and softball training academy with locations in North Canton and Canal Fulton. Our new Canal Fulton features 10,000 square feet of training space with six cages for hitting and pitching and a large commercial weight room. Velocity Sports will sharpen your skills and get you in the starting lineup. For more info, go to velosportsohio.com. Turning 65 soon or already on Medicare? Hummel Group can help you explore your options and find a plan that fits your unique health care needs and budget. Our experienced agents provide personalized advice and help you compare plans from top insurance carriers for free. We're here to help you find the Medicare plan that's right for you. Visit HummelHelps.com or call 800-860-1060 to speak to an agent about Medicare. Don't just get insurance, get Hummel. All right, we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Now, Mitch, uh, you know, we you you mentioned it earlier in the show. We know it's the the later stage of the off season right now. We're just trying to find things to talk about. When uh, there was this whole spiel that happened while I was on vacation, this thing about the the Cleveland Browns officially announcing that they uh, have some new threads for the upcoming uh, season. Now it's kind of a throwback to their old 1950s style looks, as you see here, the uh, all white design along with uh, the new white helmet with a brown and orange stripe that has not been seen on a field for the Browns since the late forties to early 1950s. Some would say the heyday of the Browns organization, as you can tell along with myself, Mitch, you are uh, very, very much okay with this look for the Browns this upcoming season. Well, this whole spiel happened uh, with the Browns and Bengals social media accounts to where uh, the Brown or the Bengals started clowning about the Browns look how it kind of looks more so like the white tiger uniforms that the Bengals have been peddling out for the upcoming for the last couple of seasons. And then that got into a whole thing with people, sports historians, Cleveland sports historians about how um, it was 
uh, it's likely true that Mike Brown, or excuse me, Paul Brown, excuse me, the former Browns coach turned founder, owner, and uh, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals later in his career, uh, essentially, and I would say, and I use the term essentially very carefully, ripped off an entire NFL franchise by giving the Bengals a similar look to the Browns, black and orange instead of brown and orange, orange helmets, because this was pre the stripes on the helmets when they just said Bengals back in the early days of Brown. Uh, they had the same initials CB. Uh, they played in a, in a major metropolitan market in Ohio, Cincinnati instead of Cleveland. And uh, yeah, they, they are said they've essentially been rivals for the last 50 or 60 or odd years because you know, that's the way it works. So I even put up on Twitter the other day, this thing about how it was a clip on YouTube about how um, uh, somebody was explaining. I don't remember what I, I searched to look it up, but it was essentially how the, when uh, Paul Brown was fired by Art Modell in the early sixties, he was essentially like, okay, I'm pissed. I'm going to go make my own organization. You can see here, there's the Browns. And then they just transition into the Bengals. Look at this thing. I, like, I was like, Bengals fans cop saying the Browns copy. Look, you copied an entire franchise. We understand you guys have made the Super Bowl three times more than we have. We get that. But we were the OG. We were winning championships for you guys. were even a thought in Paul Brown's head. So back off when you see this. That That's all I'm saying. The Bengals just have nothing else to do. That's basically all it is. He literally copied a franchise because he was upset. And listen, when you're the position of Paul Brown was in, you can do whatever the hell you want. Uh, at the same time, both teams, both the Browns and the Bengals, Mitch, have colors from the school that Paul Brown taught at. So did they both rip off the Maslin Tigers? Like, no, uh, you don't see them. I, I mean, like. Hmm. I was going to say, I'm not sure because I know the Browns are named after Paul Brown, but I don't, that's, the, I mean, the orange, the orange is in both. Yeah. But the, but the Brown, the, the Brown is different from a tiger, right. but then the orange Bengals thing I'll give you Bengals so, thing. I'll give you. So, so did he rip the Bengals? Did he like the orange obviously, which is why I took it to Cleveland and say, I want the orange still, but I'm going to go back to mass and take the black. Like, it is what it is. It's a petty argument. The Browns obviously did it first. The white helmets are awesome. I don't know if you had a conversation with your dad, I did. My dad's not a fan of them because he's what? been raised in orange helmet the entire time. I think there's the older generation out there that likes it much like there are with Buckeye fans, Mitch, that when they went to a different type of helmet for a game here or there, I believe starting back in 2011, a lot of Buckeye fans hated it, right? It's always the silver helmets the stripe down the middle, the Buckeye leaves on it. There's the helmet that was scarlet with the thick gray stripe down the middle. They wore against Wisconsin when Braxton Miller threw a Hail Mary to Devin Smith. Okay. They've had the chrome silver helmets they've worn with special uniforms they've talked about an all navy helmet the throat like people just kind of need to get over it it's a helmet hey the browns were successful when they wore these white ones maybe right. we're going to be successful now with these white ones who knows but i don't know if you saw today mitch the denver broncos mm. announced they are going to come out with their alternate helmets and the browns Quote tweeted it and tagged the Bengals. Oh, yes. And they said, as I pulled up here for, or it may have been yesterday, sorry, the algorithm on, on Twitter. Yeah, I think, I think it was yesterday. And I, I know the one you're thinking about, the one where they were basically uh, getting after the oh, wait, Broncos like the Bengals were. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, 
like I think the Browns they said at Bengals. Can you believe these guys? Like that's what I mean. Like the Bengals, I think were bored. There's nothing to talk about. Obviously, like I mentioned just a segment ago, get over it. And at the same time, it doesn't matter what type of helmet or jersey you wear. If you win football games, people are going to love it. Yeah, I I, I can see that. First of all, the Browns just kind of they're not a. Uh not getting treated well in the comments and I can kind of see why this, that, that felt one, that one felt like an L to me, but I, I do think that the Broncos are kind of going to try and maybe go back towards that old school design that they had from the seventies to the mid nineties. Cause that, that look that they've been sporting for the last two decades is a solid look, but that is a relic of the late nineties style. When a lot of NFL teams are starting to darken their colors and starting to make their colors look a little more intense and intimidating. And now we're kind of working our way back into the colorful brightness of the old days. I mean, the Eagles are going to be wearing their Kelly green uniforms more often. Now the Patriots have kind of softened their look a little bit. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's just gonna be one of those things where timeout. If there is one team in the NFL that should be upset with any team, when it comes to uniforms, it should be the Houston Texans upset with the Tennessee Titans. Okay. Going back to the Houston Oilers uniforms. They're literally called the Houston Oilers throwbacks. The team went from there to Tennessee and they're wearing the uniforms that were worn in Houston. To me, that is the only franchise that should have an argument about being upset about anything. They wore and them. They, for, yeah. They wore care. them for, they wore them for two seasons as the Tennessee Oilers, but it's uh that is that is too classic of a look for the NFL to be owned by the wrong city. And I already have this whole spiel with how the Oklahoma City technically owns the rights, the Sonics looks and colors and banners and all that. That, that should just go back to the respective cities. I do agree that the Texans, I mean, that, that's tricky though, because the Texans aren't, the, the, they weren't the Oilers. It's not like it was a rebranding. It's a different organization. The only reason the Browns, the only reason the Browns still remain the Browns in the old days is that they, they, they made it official that we're going to keep it this way. We're just going to essentially restart it. The, the Oilers left for, for Nashville and they just decided, all right, we're going to get a new team. It's the Texans have fun with it. But the Texans do not do I think do need a bit of a new updated yeah. look. Cause they've been sporting the same look since 2002. Well, what are, I mean, I, my, and I get it right. They left Houston for tenant for Nashville. Yes. They became the, the, they were the Nashville Oilers there before they became the Titans. It's just like, you know, Houston to me, the uniforms that were worn there, obviously the franchise left like that to me, when people see that it's, Oh, the Houston Oilers, right. They should have the biggest gripe and they don't say anything. But what about this? What about this? The Indianapolis Colts or the, uh, the Baltimore Colts snuck out in the middle of the night to go to Indianapolis. Baltimore got a new team a few years later. Does Baltimore, uh, if Baltimore came out sporting some blue and white uniforms one day, uh, I mean, that it's kind of the same thing. That wouldn't make sense either. But, you know, it's 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 association by city rather than the organization themselves. You know, there's this whole oh, yeah. thing now with the Colts about how they're they got this black helmet in the in the uniform now, which I saw that the other day. That was a mistake on the organization's part, not because a black helmet doesn't look good, but because they're doing it wrong. If I can get the Colts new uniforms up here, the Colts new uniforms, uh, they have a black helmet, but it's a blue, it's a blue uniform. And I'm thinking to myself, no, that should be a blue helmet with a blue uniform or an all black uniform. That shouldn't be two. That shouldn't be two different things clashing together. Am I the only one seeing this? I, no, I see it with you. At the same time, I like the uniform just because it is different. 
um, people are like, oh, that's the Duke Blue Devils only as a professional football team. No, Duke is just a black, a blue with black trim around everything. Yeah. I don't know. Obviously, as, as a professional team, you have your traditional color and then you have white uniforms. Are you allowed to have your helmet the same color as a non, your non-dominant color or your non away color which is white for pretty much every single nfl team that's why i don't know like are they allowed to have an all black uniform with a black helmet i don't know if that's if that because they have some crazy rules when it comes to this i feel like they would be because the steelers have worn all black uniforms before and they have their black helmets but black is technically part of their you know primary colorway you see what i'm saying like black when you think of the colts it's white and blue you think of the browns it's orange and brown or orange and white every team has a white uniform that's why I'm not sure like were the Colts not permitted to do an all black. Cause I thought an all black uniform with blue trim, white numbers and a blue stripe down the helmet would have been a great look, but the NFL has some of the most bogus rules when it comes to uniforms and things like that. Um, well, the NFL. The only, yeah. The only thing that matters to me is when it comes to baseball and obviously you don't see it, but like pitchers can't wear white sleeves when they're pitching because it right. hides the ball. Like, Football, you're on the field. You're on a like so unless you're wearing a green uniform, green helmet that is the exact same color as a green turf, which Boise State does it with blue turf. Like you should be able to tell who the other team is if they're wearing all black. Uh, let's see here. The NFL previously permitted teams only one set of helmets for safety reasons per season, but they softened that rule in 2022, which will allow you to wear the different helmets henceforth the orange and the white helmets. Uh, let's see here. The revised policy allows teams to utilize a second alternate color approved helmet to pair with the alternate classic and or color rush uniforms. All uses of alternate helmets must follow the set forth parameters. Clubs must in- obtain an entire new set of alternate color helmets for all players. So we're not going to see these helmets, the white helmets with the browns, uh, brown uniforms. We're not yep. going to see that. Alternate color helmets must be the same make, model, and size as the applicable player's primary helmet. All right. Alternate color helmets must be made available to all players at the start of training camp and should be fit at the same time as the primary helmet. And alternate color helmets must be worn in practice at a minimum during the week leading up to the game in which they will be used. And that's from NFL.com uh, back in June of 2021. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that we would see. I'm trying to like think of what would an example would be. I guess it wouldn't be a case uh, if the Colts had come up with that uniform is all black. Then I think they could have gotten away with it, but or if their color rush would have, their color rush was originally blue, I believe. So if it would have been a, it a is. black color rush, like maybe that's because you mentioned the three uniforms there, they're traditional, they're alternate and their color rush. So maybe if their color rush was black, it would have been okay to do an all black, but probably because I know in basketball or baseball, it's every four or five years, you can redo your uniforms in, however you'd like. like yeah. I think it's for basketball. We've seen in the NBA with the Cavs. So I don't know what the length is, <clears throat> excuse me, for for the NFL teams, but maybe that is partially why. Well, I believe that the the Colts color rush this year is all blue. And I well, actually, no, this is an older article. Um, but I do believe that that is the color rush. So therefore, um, they'll be sporting the all blues and then right at the top of the black and uh, blue horseshoe design, which is an inverse of the um, the usual helmet. They had those inverse ones a while back, long ago. I don't think they ever did this, but I think the NFL, at, you can buy this at the Hall of Fame or some other stores. Yeah. 
they have those inverse uh, mini helmets that are like the inverse colors of the NFL. Say, for example, if it was the Dallas Cowboys helmet, it would be a navy blue helmet with a silver star, which is the opposite of what they usually wear. And the Browns had one where it was a brown helmet with orange stripes on it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. We'll probably see them in a game sometime. And then they never did. They never did them. So I'm very confused as to what what will become of you know, those in the future, if those will just be small collectibles. Um, in the meantime, that's where we, that's all we got for this week's episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. We thank you guys so much for listening. And Mitch, I want to hear your fact of the day because you meant to bring it up earlier, and I don't know if you did, so let's hear it now. I did not. Your fact of the day, Mitch. Baseball related to the Guardians, Noah Syndergaard has more career home runs than Miles Straw. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He had two in a game, I believe, at one point with uh, – with the Mets, he's got that he's got that lanky body for a left-hander, but he can still somehow smack a ball over the right field wall. So hopefully he does that more for the Guardians, even though the Universal DH is year-round now. And thank you guys so much for listening or watching to the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.